Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, my fellow Liberty lovers, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from. Today is Tuesday, October 31st, and this is episode 16 of the Living with Freedom show. And is it 16 or 17? I have to go back and look. (laughs) Um, I'm Amber S. bringing you a vision of what living a life of freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in every aspect of life. This show is brought to you by Living with Freedom Ministries, an unincorporated private church and ministry where I help people discover and fulfill their God-given purpose, specifically through the creation of their own private ministry. If you enjoy the Living with Freedom show or any of the Living with Freedom ministry activities, please consider a donation through PayPal using the ministries livingwithfreedom at protonmail.com email. Your support helps. Oh, man, it's going to be one of those days. Your support helps keep this ministry's mission alive. So thank you. We, we at Living with Freedom really appreciate it. All right. Well, let's, let's unpack this show because today is Halloween. And so, of course, the holiday of today I'm going to focus on is both Halloween and Reformation Day. I'll be honest. I did not really know a lot about Reformation Day prior to really digging into this, you know, prepping for today's show. So I was really astonished. Like, I knew a little bit about it. I knew that there was mixed reviews on its history and, um, you know, whether or not Christians should be celebrating it or, or what. And so I really wanted to touch on this topic today because I wanted to kind of clear the air, at least from my personal perspective, based on the research that I've done. That being said, I do want to share, and this is not an affiliate link. I do not get any, you know, any funds for sharing this. That being said, I want to share a resource that I think is truly phenomenal, which is the Founder's Bible. Uh, David Barton and his team, he has like one of the largest private libraries of original source documentation that there is. So he literally has this vault library of, you know, letters and writings from the founding fathers, etc. So what he did was he put together what's called the Founder's Bible with, with a team, of course. And the coolest thing about it is they've put it in multiple forms. So if you're a phone person, you can absolutely get the digital version. I I splurged and I got the heirloom edition, which is a, let's see, what is that one? It's a, I think that one's a hardcover leather bound um, book and it has color photos in it from the founders. Basically throughout the entire thing, there's little pockets 
of stuff from the Founding Fathers, truly amazing stuff. <clears throat> and I really appreciate what they did was merging together the fact that the Founding Fathers were very spiritual and religious people. They believed in God, absolutely. <laughs> so if you want a good Bible that's also got all of this add-on stuff, like here's just a little blurb about it. It says the Founder's Bible, and I'm reading directly from the Founder's Bible, I think it's .com. Let me double check. <clears throat> Wrong link. Yep, the Founder's Bible.com. And here's a little blurb about it. The Founder's Bible is signature historian David Barton's most significant life's work. The Bible contains 2,272 pages, beautifully designed and illustrated throughout, with over 900 pages of in-depth, culturally relevant articles, insightful biblical commentary, and some of the most inspiring history of this nation's founding and the destiny and purpose God intended. Yeah, it's it's a really awesome book, very beautiful. Um, if you are in need of a family Bible or want a new family Bible, definitely worth it because even in the front of these ones, they have like that genealogy thing, the family tree that you can do. Um, so they've thought of everything. I think it's a really cool resource. But I digress. <laughs> Today we're really going to be touching on Martin Luther not Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther, <laughs> and Reformation Day. We're also going to be talking about its connection to Halloween, or also known as All Hallows' Eve. And we're also going to be talking a little bit about living in fear versus living in faith. <clears throat> so a little history about today. On October 31st, 1517, German priest, professor, theologian, Martin Luther, <clears throat> oh, I apologize. I even have a lozenge in. Martin Luther nailed his disputation on the power and efficacy of indulgences, otherwise called the 95 CC, to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg. And the following, I just wanted to share a few key excerpts to get the main point of the 95 theses, because... <clears throat> It's good to know where his stance was. He definitely had this life that kind of evolved. I mean, he started out as a Catholic priest. And what would become known as Reformation Day really started back at this day, October 31st, 1517, when he nailed this. And what was going on is that, and you'll hear this throughout the, uh, the excerpts, <clears throat> But what was going on is that there were leaders in the church who were starting to sell what's called indulgences. <clears throat> oh, I'm going to grab a sip of water. I'm sorry. All right. Me, 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 me. Just kidding. <laughs> what indulgences basically were. I'm not Catholic. I never grew up Catholic. I had family that was. So I've had to learn about this stuff kind of secondhand. These indulgences were basically this get-out-of-jail-free card, sort of. I know it's more in-depth than that, but as we think about it today, that's kind of what it was. If you sinned, you could buy these indulgences to basically 
guarantee your salvation. The problem was, at least according to Martin Luther and, and many Christians, is you shouldn't be having to buy your way to salvation. That's not biblical. Jesus never talked about that. And so he wanted to raise awareness of the unbiblical nature of these boughten indulgences. So that's kind of the background. Um, here's excerpt one. And this is lines 32 through 37 of the 95 Theses. Those who believe that they can be certain of their salvation because they have their indulgence letters will be eternally damned together with their teachers. Men must especially be on guard against those who say that the Pope's pardons are that inestimable, (laughs) that's a rough word for me, gift of God by which one is reconciled to him. For the cases of indulgences are concerned only with the penalties of sacramental satisfaction established by man. They who teach that contrition is not necessary on the part of those who intend to buy souls out of purgatory or to buy confessions, confessional privileges, preach unchristian doctrine. So right then and there, he says that buying one's soul out of purgatory is unchristian doctrine. Next line, any truly repentant Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt, even without the indulgence letters. Any true Christian, whether living or dead, participates in all the blessings of Christ in the church, and this is granted him by God, even without indulgence letters. So I will say, getting to this point in the theses was a little bit difficult to understand and read, partly because I have not studied the historical context in which he was talking. Um, So I'm picking specific sections to prove a point, and especially the point of today, Reformation Day. All right, excerpt two. This is lines 41 through 46. Um, Papal papal indulgences must be preached without caution, lest people erroneously think that they are preferable to other good works of love. Basically, he's saying, be careful, because otherwise people are going to think that these indulgences are more important than doing good works. He goes on to say, Christians are to be taught that the Pope does not intend that the buying of indulgences should in any way be compared with works of mercy. Christians are often taught that he who gives to the poor or lends to the needy does a better deed than he who buys indulgences. Because love grows by works of love, man thereby becomes better. Man does not, however, become better by means of indulgences, but is merely freed from penalties. Christians are to be taught that he who sees a needy man is, and passes him by yet gives his money for the indulgences, does not buy papal, papal, i got to learn that word, indulgences, but God's wrath. So he's basically saying people can't mistake buying these indulgences for doing God, you know, for doing God's work, um, doing good deeds. And by mistaking the two, by, you know, swapping the two, 
you're going to really get God's, God's wrath. Last line here, Christians are to be taught that unless they have more than they need, they must reserve enough for their family needs and by no means squander it on indulgences. Holy cannoli. <laughs> Excerpt three, just three lines, 52 through 54. It is vain to trust in salvation by indulgence letters, even though the indulgence commissary or even the Pope were to offer his soul as security. They are the enemies of Christ and the Pope who forbid altogether the preaching of the word of God in some churches in order that indulgences may be preached in others. Injury is done to the word of God when in the same sermon an equal or larger amount of time is devoted to indulgences than to the word. Last excerpt, 79 and, um, and 80. To say that the cross emblazoned with the papal coat of arms and set up by the indulgence preachers is equal in worth to the cross of Christ, cross of Christ is blasphemy. The bishops, curates, and theologians who permit such talk to be spread among the people will have to answer for this. Phew, right? I am so glad that there's an English translation because he later in his life went on to while he was hiding from the the church leaders and the king because they wanted his head for saying this stuff while he was in hiding he did the work of translating the Bible from Latin and Greek to common language German for the people so he was a rebel he wanted the people to truly held the proper knowledge about the word of God. He wanted them to really have the right path to leading biblical lives and godly lives. And having to pay for these indulgences, which was not really a biblical thing, was a mere distraction and a way to make money. So what does this all mean? Based on my studies, Luther, while his teachings and theological standings here led to Protestant Reformation, at this point he himself was still a priest and was not really, at least it didn't seem like it here, not really entirely against indulgences altogether, more so just against the paying for them, as if someone could buy their way to salvation and thus heaven. All right, this is going to segue into our later discussion um, about the holiday itself, Halloween, Reformation Day, All Saints Day, as well as our discussion on fear versus faith. But for now, let's just really get an understanding of the significance of why such a religious dude as Martin Luther would choose to pick Halloween or All Hallows Eve as the day he would post the 95 Theses. Because isn't All Hallows Eve, isn't Halloween a pagan holiday, worshiping the devil and Satan and all that stuff, right? I mean, according to my Facebook feed, um, which has exploded this year about Halloween, doesn't he know it's Satan's holiday? Like, oh my God, what a heathen, what blasphemy, right? <laughs> but, Question, 
isn't as, as a Christian, as a believer in God, isn't this an everyday, a day that the Lord has made? And if God created every single day, can there actually be bad and evil days in the calendar? I don't think so. God created everything and it's up to us to choose to use it for good or evil. And it really comes down to discernment to make sure we're using everything properly. I mean, as an unrelated example, and you guys have heard me say this before because you know I'm super passionate about health and wellness and, you know, using food and plants as our medicine. God created food and plants to be our medicine. And actually, someone reminded me yesterday, not only did that, did God create food and plants to be our medicine, he created them first. There was plants on this earth before he even made humans. So he made them first. And he created every single rock and gem and stone and herb on the surface of this plant, surface of this planet, or I should say on the surface of this earth. <laughs> and if we're to, um oh, yeah, if we're to have dominion over the earth should we not be utilizing every single plant and herb and crystal that God gave us? I'm not saying that we should be worshiping these things or that we should forget who created it, giving it its beneficial properties. Now, closer back to the topic, historically, when someone would say the date, whether a historical date or today's date, they used to say the day of our Lord as an everyday conversational way to recognize and remember that this is the day that the Lord has made. And it's also a reminder then that we should rejoice and be glad in it. So in terms of Christianity's observance of Halloween, it started out as All Hallowtide or All Hallows Eve. And it was to honor and respect you know, those who went before, particularly the saints and the holy ones. And I know this this might feel kind of disjointed, but we're going to tie in a few definitions here first, not necessarily the word of the day. That's actually going to come later. But we're going to tie in some definitions first because today is called Halloween or All Hallows Eve. And I think we forget what hallow means. It doesn't mean haunted, as it seems like a lot of people think it does. And I just want to remind listeners, um, especially if you've been listening before, the definitions I'm sharing here, not all of them are going to be from Black Saw Dictionary today. In fact, the first one is not. The rest are, but the first one today. Follow just means honor as holy, make holy, consecrate, a saint or holy person, and I'm going to add, since consecrate was in the hollow definition, I decided to check it in Black's Law Dictionary, because in Black's Law Dictionary, hollow was not a word, but consecrate is. So in ecclesiastical law, this is a definition of consecrate. In ecclesiastical law, to 
to dedicate to sacred purpose. As a bishop by imposition of hands, or a church or churchyard by prayers, etc. Consecration is performed by a bishop or archbishop. Now, let's tie all of this together with a quote from this article, What Does Halloween Have to Do with the Reformation? Plenty. This article is by Stacy Piggott of the University of California University, University Communications. And there's um, just three short paragraphs, but I wanted to share what she said about Halloween. Quote, Halloween started as a pagan Celtic festival known as Samhain, which celebrated the harvest and New Year. After the Roman Empire conquered the Celts in the first century, festivals traditional to each culture were combined and then eventually usurped by the Roman Catholic Church, which created All Martyrs Day in AD 609. Nearly 400 years later, Pope Gregory III replaced All Martyrs Day with All Saints Day and All Souls Day. All Saints Day was also called All All Hallows, and the night before, All Hallows became All Hallows Eve, the precursor of Halloween. While Halloween isn't observed worldwide, many cultures have a holiday with similar origins, In Mexico and other Latin America countries, October 31st is the start of the Dia of de los Muertos, a celebration to honor deceased loved ones and ancestors. Dia de los Muertos also has been historically tied to All Saints Day and All Souls Day, giving it a link to the Reformation as well. So I want to go back to that second paragraph. Um... All Saints Day was also called All Hallows or All Hallows Day. The reason is saints, if we go back to the definition of hallow, saints were holy. And the word hallow means holy or to honor is holy. So All Hallows Eve is the night before All Holy Day, really, All Saints Day. That's all that All Hallows Eve means. All right, and then I also made a note to say this. All Hallows Day or All Saints Day is a day to remember saints or holy persons. It doesn't mean that we're worshiping the saints or the dead by any means. Now, I realize there are some who do actually worship or pray to the saints or holy people. And while I personally don't see any biblical standing for it, I personally, my main point here is that even though it's still not worshiping Satan, and even paganism, like if a person actually spends a, a little bit of time studying and understanding paganism, which does not mean we have to consent or agree to it by just by understanding it, But even paganism does not technically worship the devil or Satan. So when we think about All Hallows' Eve, regardless of your religious background, whether you're Catholic, Protestant, Lutheran, other believer, All Hallows' Eve is just a day to honor and recognize those who have gone before us. That's it. 
So I just don't, I, I want us to remember that this doesn't have to be um, a day to like honor the dark side or, or really celebrate this dark stuff. We don't have to let it get that way, you guys. So my plea today is let's reclaim today as God's day. Let's remember the quote saints and let's not fall into fear. To wrap this up, I'm going to read um, our, our dear friend Sarah P's post. She, um, she's home now with her baby. It's just, you know, going transitioning for five to six children at home and still having a newborn. It's a lot. So we didn't want to stress her out um, by having her, you know, come on to share stuff about Martin Luther and Reformation Day. But I did want to quote one of her posts from last year. It said, on this day in history, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Castle Church. He deliberately chose All Hallows Eve for two reasons. One, to push back against the Catholic Church and their growing um, apostasy. And two, because All Hallows Eve is a celebration not of death, but a celebration of Christ's victory over death, sin, and the grave. Time to redeem and restore this world, Christians. Instead of allowing Satan worshipers and cultists to build strongholds in this world, how about we make mockery of Satan and how little power he holds? I love that. I am not afraid of Halloween, you guys. Yes, I am all for dressing up as um, these things to make a mockery of them because they have no power here. That's what I want to encourage us to to have the confidence with. Whatever our belief system is, that's where living with freedom comes from spiritually, is having the confidence and the knowledge, a.k.a. wisdom, to know that we are stronger. We have God on our side. And it is a mockery for these evil ones to think, you know, they have any amount of power over us. They will try to kick us down, of course. But they really have no power when we are talking, you know, kingdom of God stuff. So as we think about living a life of freedom, spiritually arm yourselves with the word, with your favorite sacred text. And let's Stop living in fear of a day. Now, since I did mention falling into fear, I wanted to invite you guys to join me in reframing how we look at things in life. And this is literally applicable to any situation I can think of. Um, We're actually going to pause here for a commercial break. And then afterward, we're going to dive deep into this concept of fear versus faith. We're going to do a deep dive and we're really going to, you know, hit this hard. Be right back.
We talk a lot about the kingdom here, and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us uh, in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same. And we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints. But they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And join us on Facebook. Facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. Join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. But it's just not enough to sit and listen or to talk about or to say. You must become a doer of the word. Please check out the Barefoot is Legal radio show right here on Saturdays, 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that is 10.30 a.m. to noon Pacific Time, as we show you all about your barefoot rights and living a barefoot lifestyle. And for more information about the 501c3 nonprofit Barefoot is Legal, please check out barefootislegal.org. Hello, Freedomizers. I am Broccoli Man. When I am not fighting crime, I listen to the Proof Negative radio show. I am the Wire Ripper. Not only do I forbid you to listen to Freedomizer Radio and the Proof Negative radio show, I am going to demand you wear a mask and get your naked body scan. We need to protect the One World Government. You getting the real information hurts a crime syndicate. Do not listen to Proof Negative. You must now disrobe this instant so I can check your person for a constitutional cash money. Anyway, listen to Proof Negative on Freedomizer Radio. Weeknights 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Freedomizerradio.com Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty Lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific Time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. All right, welcome back, and we are ready for segment two. If you are just tuning in, this is the Living with Freedom show, and today we are talking about Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, Reformation Day, its history, and so here in segment two, we're going to really be transitioning from really from living in fear to living in faith, what that looks like and what it means. So we're going to start with the word of the day. And as per usual, I'm going to share more than one word. For you who are not as nerdy as I am, 
I apologize a tiny, tiny bit for only or for not sticking to one word of the day. What I'm finding is it's really helpful to have this, you know, compare and contrast when we're talking about the words of the day, especially when we can tie them into the topic or the theme. So today's two terms, which I did find in Black's Law Dictionary, are fear and faith. So remember that Black's Law Dictionary, their core definitions are really revolving around the lawful, lawfully relevant definition of these words. I do want to maybe tie in, <coughs> excuse me, I do want to tie in, you know, the more mainstream definitions if, if we have time during this segment. But for now, I do want to touch on just the law dictionary version. So the definition of fear is apprehension of harm, dread, consciousness of approaching danger, mental response to threat, profound reverence and awe. Within Hobbes Act extortion definition includes fear of economic loss as well as of physical harm. And then the definition of the word faith is confidence, credit, reliance. Thus, an act may be said to be done, quote, on the faith, unquote, of certain representations. Second part of the definition is faith means belief, credence, trust. Thus, the Constitution provides that, quote, full faith and credit, end quote, shall be given to the judgments of each state in the courts of the others. And the third part of the definition is purpose, intent, sincerity, state of knowledge or design. This is the meaning of the word in the phrases, quote, good faith and, quote, bad faith. And then it does say see good faith, but I I was not going to torture you guys with more definitions. When we think about fear versus faith, I also want to remind you guys the letters of the word fear, F-E-A-R, also spell out a different acronym. It spells out false evidence appearing real. And especially coming from someone who has experienced domestic violence, who escaped it, and is now an advocate against it. As someone who is a huge proponent for healing one's, you know, past traumas and dramas, releasing emotional patterns, releasing, you know, all that kind of stuff, breaking generational curses, coming out of fear really has every single thing to do with living with freedom. Why do we go to a doctor? Because we are in fear of harm that we can't handle. Now, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor, at least not when it comes to emergency medicine. 
I will advocate that if you're just sick, there are natural ways that you can support your body in healing itself. You just need to feed it what it needs, whether it's ingestion, whether it's topically, whether you're breathing something in. But we choose certain things based on reacting in fear. And when we react in fear, it means we're not thinking clearly. Our conscious thought is kind of off. When we're in fear, what it really means is that we're living in a state of fight, flight, or freeze. That's where adrenaline and cortisol are all wreaking havoc on our bodies. And it's, studies have shown that we make poor decisions when we are stressed. So the more that I can encourage you guys to practice getting grounded, and knowing that's a super woo-woo mainstream kind of, you know, term, but however you get yourself present and connected to God, you know, centered on truth, centered on the present moment, not on the past, not on the future, whatever you need to do to practice getting stronger in that presence, that groundedness, I really encourage you guys to do that. For me, that's waking up earlier in the morning. I usually wake up without an alarm clock now, 5, 5.30, to read my Bible. And I actually have quite a few verses from today that, if I have time, I want to share because Man, I'm in Romans, and you guys, this is powerful stuff. If you want, if you have never read the Bible in its entirety, I would, one, encourage you to start. What I would recommend, though, is maybe considering reading Romans first. And that's having, you know, that's with a disclaimer that I have not read the entire Bible yet, myself and that's why I'm working through it but what I'm finding in Romans is that the entire book really seems to give a solid chronology of what's transpired what's kind of going on right now and how to live you know a good Christian life how to be a kingdom citizen And I think that's really powerful because so much of the time as we read the Bible, it feels like there's doom and gloom or um, what, how should I put it? It's either doom or gloom or it seems like really almost fake, happy kind of hope. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but that's how I'm going to put it. (laughs) So as I've been reading it in context, I'm finding a lot of relevant stuff, stuff that I needed to hear each and every day. Even though I'm just reading, you know, chapters, it's not like I'm doing a Bible study, per se, that has a certain theme or a topic. But that's the thing that I have found for myself has really helped me stay very, very present. I've also found that doing EFT tapping has made a significant improvement 
in my ability to, especially when I get into stressful moments and situations, I, I just, you know, do a tapping sequence to help get myself back into the present moment, remind myself that I am not in physical danger. I am not going to be physically harmed, that my body, that I am safe. And when you've dealt with domestic violence, even if it's, or or domestic abuse, only a fraction of it is physical. Some people actually never experience physical abuse. A lot of it's psychological, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, um, you know, things that you can't touch, things that you can't see. And so when we experience those kinds of triggers emotionally, it can really cause us to have anxiety or panic attacks when we never used to. And it doesn't mean that you're just going to be prone to those things for the rest of your life. You can heal and and recover from these things, but you do have to do the work. And EFT, I have found, has been, I'm not going to say it's been completely painless. Like, physically, yeah, it's painless. You just, like, tap on your skin. It, it doesn't hurt physically. But sometimes it does bring up some deep stuff that, you know, it's good to release. Sometimes if it's too deep or if it's too hurtful, what I've been coached to do when I have sessions is, to put all of the things related to that memory or that emotion or or whatever we're working through in a imaginary container. And then once it feels like it's full, you close it and then you can decide what to do with it. And that kind of helps take pressure off having to relive it Because you don't have to necessarily relive something. You've already been through it. And if it's traumatic, if it's PTSD-inducing, you keep reliving it. So to be able to, like, take it out of your emotional, you know, body and put it into this imaginary container, it's, it's a spiritual way of releasing it, which I find is personally very helpful. As we continue thinking about living in fear versus living in faith, I also want us to consider the fact that when we react in fear, reacting is a very unconscious thing. We know that if someone jumps out and startles you, it creates a reaction, right? It's involuntary. It's unconscious. Um, I actually watched a really funny video the other day of husbands scaring their wives, like with Halloween masks on, or just popping out, whatever. And my favorite part about this video, though, was not only did they scare their wives, but the wives, they kind of fought back because they didn't always know it was their husband. Um, So often the husbands were getting you know, beat up pretty much. They would get kicked and punched and things thrown at them or or swung at them. And sometimes it ended in things getting broken, which also added to the the comedy of it. I would not want that done to me because I don't want to break anything or anyone. (laughs) 
my point, though, is the fact that these women have had to train themselves to physically protect their body when they get scared, when they get startled, when they're fearful. And yeah, it's wise to have those instinctual reactions to things because it is about self-preservation. But in our world today, most of the things that we experience, I'm not going to say all because we do experience very sudden things that we do need to have that immediate fight and flight response to, right? But most things that we experience in life, you, you don't need that for But an older part of our brain is so used to reacting with fight, flight, or freeze that we have to train it to recognize physically dangerous scenarios versus scenarios that require more logical, conscious responses, proactive responses, ones that you can think about and logically come to a decision on. So when we make decisions in faith, we're flipping the script, you guys. We are totally flipping the script. And I wanted to share some verses to really encourage us to live in faith and love rather than fear. Second Timothy one seven says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Joshua 1.9 says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's two more. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then Psalm 27, 1. It goes on to say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In the world today, we know that there's a lot that we could be afraid of. And if you're someone who happens to watch the news, there's a lot that the news says we should be afraid of. Heck, in 2020, the whole world wanted us to be afraid of a virus. A measly, stupid, stinking little virus. I was never afraid. Granted, I was lucky. I used to tutor English as a second language, and I had students from the particular country of origin, um, and we had to be very careful in general about the topics we would talk about. But when things started to hit the fan in late 2019 over there, we would very carefully talk about it. And if we slipped and said the name of that virus or, or anything like that, within two minutes, you guys, our, our class call, which I would coach them on just everyday communication language, conversation language. So we would get to talk, 
you know, freely about random topics. Within two minutes of us starting conversations about that virus, in 2019, in beginning of 2020, our call would get disconnected and they would not be able to reconnect for our call. So we knew, I knew that something was coming before it got here. And the funny thing is, when you look back at what the news was showing over there, they were showing that people were dropping dead like flies in the street, foaming at the mouth as if they were rabid. That didn't happen here, you guys. So I don't know what was different, but we got scammed. I don't know if you guys know. You guys are liberty lovers, so you probably do know. But in those first two years of this thing over here, magically, mysteriously, and miraculously, the normal seasonal virus that we experience, especially in these northern states, all but disappeared. It doesn't make sense, you guys. So we need to stop living in fear because fear is nothing but false evidence appearing real. When we choose to live by faith, when we choose to realize that God knows our day, not a stupid virus, not a fraction of a chance of maybe dying from something. Then we can really live our life. Then we can really live out our purpose and live with freedom. And that's another reason I don't follow certain movements anymore, um, especially a certain letter movement, because it was creating so much fear about the what ifs and, and what was supposedly coming of these big shutdowns and, and the world collapsing and the, you know, 10 days of darkness, this dark winter and all these things. One, I was going broke trying to prep so much. And then I got to talking to people who had followed it for decades and were waiting and waiting for this to happen. I'm like, hold hold the horses, put on the brakes. I need to live my life and I need to help spread truth with a capital T to everybody. We can't keep just sitting back and expecting some hero to rescue us. It's up to us to do something about it. So, before we end segment two, when we integrate all of these things from today, we have some really major takeaways. First of all, because God created everything, there is no day that is evil. Second takeaway, there's a lot more than this, but I picked three main takeaways, just so you know. So second takeaway, great shifts in the trajectory of history have started because of a single person doing something. Now, of course, this could be for good or evil. But you guys, let's be the Martin Luthers. Let's be the Christmas addicts, the Mercy Otis Warrens, the Martin Luther King Juniors of the world, and be individuals standing up in the face of opposition for our rights, for our God-given rights. 
government doesn't give these things to us. God does. And it's our Christian, our moral and ethical, as well as civic duty to protect and defend those rights. Those rights mean that we will do great things if we stand up. Jesus said in John 14, 12, which is my favorite verse, that whoever believes in him will do the works that he had been doing, and we will do even greater things than those because he was going to be with the Father. You guys, Jesus was leading by example. He was not just here to, you know, to be the end-all, be-all. What happens after salvation? How are we supposed to live our lives once we get saved? He gave us a blueprint. And point number three, we can either continue reactively acting out of fear or we can consciously choose to act in and come from a place of faith and love. Now, on that note, we're going to pause for a commercial. And when we get back, I have some extra stuff that we have not gotten to touch on in other episodes because we had to. We we ran out of time. And plain and simple, I ran out of time. <laughs> so I'll see you guys in a couple minutes. All right. Well, none of my commercial buttons are working. Let me try one other one here. Hmm. All right. Well... I will share a couple referrals that I did do a commercial break earlier, so I don't feel quite as bad missing it this time, knowing I have shared the commercials once at least. But when it comes to taking back our rights, please, please, please don't leave the biggest part in the hands of someone else who isn't even going to fight for you and your rights. How to Win in Court Without a Lawyer does just that. Dr. Graves teaches you what he's learned over as many years as a lawyer so you can protect and defend your rights for yourself. You can visit howtowinincourt.com question mark refer code equals H0024. S is in Sam, H is in Harry, 0024. And if you want to live a life of freedom, and you have a mission and a purpose in your heart that you are just itching to go after, or you're trying to pursue it and you just keep hitting roadblocks in the public domain, having to fill out this form and that form and getting turned back to redo or whatever, or you're just dealing with all the stuff post-2020 with all the regulations, let me help can help with that. Whether you have a business, whether you have a full-fledged ministry, whether you're educating or caring for our our young ones through Living with Freedom Ministries, I love helping people discover and fulfill their God-given purpose and help them establish their own private member association or their own private ministry. If this sounds like something that you're interested in, I have a 10-minute PMA introduction video and then a full 25-minute PMA webinar that you can access at go.livingwithfreedom.org backslash PMA. 
Again, that website is go.livingwithfreedom.org backslash P as in Peter, M as in Michael, A as in Adam, PMA. Then the last one I'm going to share here quick is Tuttle Twins. From watered down history, the intentional omission of facts and principles to agenda-driven opinions, our kids' public domain education is not giving our kids what they need to enter the real world and be critically thinking, problem-solving, non-history-repeating adults. That's where Tunnel Twins come in. They have an entire collection that's always growing for kids of all ages and, honestly, adults who want to go back and relearn what they should have learned from the start. They also have what I I consider them textbooks. They also have two books that are very much textbook style that homeschooling families and, you know, um, children's ministries can use for their curriculum. You can visit Tuttle, that's T-U-T-T-L-E, it's all T as in Thomas, (laughs) T-U-T-T-L-E, twins.com backslash um, backslash ref backslash living with freedom. I'm going to say that one more time. I had a lot of interruptions, which was myself interrupting myself. Good job. (laughs) The website again is tuttletwins.com T-U-T-T-L-E T-W-I-N-S dot com backslash R-E-F backslash living with freedom. I said that was the last one, but I do want to share. I am a note taker. I love notes, whether it's my to-do list, whether it's in my planner, you know, my schedule, or taking notes from watching a class or a video of some kind. I like taking notes. I used to be a huge bullet journal person, and I still believe in them. I just I don't have the time to be that creative to make the pages. So my favorite way to reduce the stress in my life and try to keep things on track and organized and all in one place is my day designer planner. I'm on my third one now. I got mine for 2024. And what I love most about these planners is that they have a daily breakdown with an hourly schedule. And my favorite um, planner from back in college actually had 30-minute increments. What I love about this is there's enough space that you can break it up into 30-minute increments by drawing a line down the middle. They also have space for your top three priorities, what to do, what's for dinner. You can track finances. Um, There's a big note space um, and also a daily gratitude area, which I really think is powerful, especially today when there's so much to be grateful for and we just simply forget about it. Outside of making my own planner, this was really the planner that had all the things. If you would like a day designer planner, please visit shrsl.com backslash 46GWU. All right. That was the last referral for today. Because on the third Tuesday PMA, we ran out of time talking about Chris Ann Hall and getting to see her in Fargo, 
um, last week I ran out of time as well. I want to touch on how all of this stuff has to do with PMAs. I want us to know that in the world today, and I've, I've been saying in the world today a lot, but in the world today, we are facing so many challenges. And it's because we're becoming awake to the truth. Again, truth with a capital T. And when we become awake to the truth, truth that's been hidden from us for so long, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be resistance. And I want people to know that whether you get a PMA or not, whether you follow your state's constitution or the, you know, national, the federal constitution, all of these things are just a piece of paper unless you know what's written on them and know how to use what's written on them. And the reason I say that is something that Kristen Hall had said. She had talked about peaceful noncompliance. And it does kind of freak me out a little bit, not going to lie. But when I realize that there's power in numbers, yet all it takes is for one person to stand, it does become really, really important to pay attention to what truths we know and what we're standing on, what our foundations are. As as a kingdom citizen, as a Jesus follower, my first constitution is the Bible because that is my covenant between me and God on how I'm agreeing to live my life. It's also the cornerstone for my God-given purpose. And my God-given purpose is helping others discover and fulfill their God-given purpose through living with freedom. Thus, the name of the ministry, right? (laughs) The reason this is so important, you guys, is we need to stop relying on someone else to tell us what is truth. For someone else to tell us what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do. Um, there was something I just thought of to add and it disappeared already. Gosh darn it. I was building up to something really, really awesome there. As we pursue our purpose, the only way that we can do that is if we know it for ourselves. When we rely on someone else, it opens the door for manipulation It opens the door for lies and untruths. But that's why it's called the armor of God when we arm ourselves with the word of God. You know, there was the breastplate of righteousness. There's, There's all the armor. And when we put it all on, we can shield ourselves from from all those opinions and attacks and usurpations of power. And where I was going is 
when we listen to other people, especially like coaches, I've heard this a lot lately from a lot of people that when we've worked with business coaches, and I've experienced experienced this myself, when I've worked with a business coach, actually a couple different times, I was told I need to limit my scope and pick one thing. And you know what? I was not created to do just one thing. I was not created to be a secretary or to work at a motel or to run a motel, whatever. I was not created to just sell essential oil, any of these things. I was created to take all of these random experiences and use them to break down learning lessons so that when other people go through these things, they have someone to go to. They have resources to handle their situation. I am someone who goes through a lot of things so that I can share a lot of things. When I was 12, my dog attacked me and I had PTSD from that. I had plastic surgery at age 12 with over 300 stitches in my face. I've been able to use that experience and that healing of trauma to help others. And and people will not always understand your purpose. In fact, often and it is it is very frustrating, but often we end up losing friends and family because they just don't understand. The thing to remember, though, is it's not our job to make them understand because their life purpose is taking them in their own direction. Someday they may understand, but some days, you know, or, you know, someday they might not because they weren't meant to. And yeah, it sucks when we lose people over that kind of stuff, but when we stay connected to our purpose, and we release the people who are not meant to stay in our lives, it opens space so that the right people that we are meant to be connected with and in communion with, as well as the people we're meant to serve to come in. But when we're so aggressively clinging to the relationships and the connections that we have to the point of harming us or them or just our purpose, we do ourselves a disservice as well as God. God gave us a specific purpose because he knew we were, you know, designed and created for that purpose. I was I was leading into the fact that when I started to not care what other people thought of all the things that I do, and I just listened to spirit within me guiding me the challenges I face now have an almost immediate turnaround for me being able to help somebody else for most of my life it was not like that for most of my life it's like all right come on god what was the purpose of that right (laughs) I was resentful I didn't get it I was not able to use it yet to help others and so I resented having to go through those things but now that I've embraced it 
and realize that I can and I will get through these things with God's help, with his guidance, I almost, I don't, I'm not trying to say I attract challenges, but when they come, I embrace them. And here's here's how to separate yourself from the trauma of these situations, of challenges, of of trauma, is to remember that the things we go through aren't about us. They're about what we learn so that we can turn it around and help others. And when I fully grasped that, it helped me depersonalize the things I was going through. They really weren't about me. Plenty of people go through domestic abuse and domestic violence. It wasn't about me. But what can I learn having gone through that experience so that I can help others? And that, my friends, is where we shift from being a victim of fear to a warrior, a, a victor of faith. When we have so much faith that we know we will get through this thing. It's just a matter of how. Then you know that you've gotten to a place of living in faith. And the reason I think that's really vital is this verse that I read today. It's Romans fourteen twenty three. It says, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because he his eating is not from faith and everything that is not from faith is sin that's pretty powerful you guys and really convicting too that if we act out of fear we're actually sinning that really makes me only want to choose to out of faith and love because I don't, I don't want to sin I don't think I even have a reason to want to sin I want to act in faith so that I know whatever decisions I'm making or not making are bringing me closer to fulfilling my God given purpose but the only way we can come closer is if we choose to act or not act in faith Because that faith is what connects us to our God-given purpose and it's what connects us to the next right thing that we are meant to do. And really every right thing that we're meant to do. But specifically, the next right thing. So if you're dealing with something that's really stressful, if you are facing a challenge, if you are doing such good in the world that you are being attacked, spiritually and in the physical realm, I, my hope and prayer for you is that you cling to this. That when you act in faith, God's got your back. You don't have to fight this battle by yourself. God will win this and you will be victorious over this. Yes, it can feel scary. And that is our trauma response. But when we act in faith, we can stay present and we can basically learn to turn off that trauma response. So we can, instead of of responding like, 
oh my gosh, this thing just happened. What do I do? I don't know what to do. Instead, then, we can respond like, okay, all right, this thing just happened. Let's look at it. What are the, what are the things that just happened? Let's break it down into step-by-step. And now, okay, how do I need to respond to this? Or do I need to respond to this? Does this actually affect me? If yes, okay. Do I know how to respond to this? Yes or no? If the answer is no, who do I know that has gone through this or might know how to handle this? The next step is to reach out to that person. The next step then is to work with the person, you know, to to take care of the situation. That's how we start to move in faith. Because we have faith that we'll get through it. It's like God gives us this, like, bubble-wrapped circle of peace around us, peace and calm and courage to be able to consciously, logically, and, and faithfully handle the situation so how does this tie into PMA I know I said I would touch on that part today what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a mini version of my workshop here because I know I've been promising you guys my workshop and because I've not had a chance to record it where I had complete silence Um, I want to make sure that I do get you a little taste of what that workshop looks like. All right. I'm going to open my folders where I have that one saved. And I know I've walked you guys through this a little bit, but we're going to dig into a little bit more. We're going to close that so that we have a bigger screen. All right. I understand the update. Thank you. So for listeners, if you're not familiar with PMAs, this is kind of, you know, hit the ground running kind of crash course on PMAs. All a PMA is is privately associating with members of your inner circle. PMA literally stands for Private Member Association. And what protects our rights to do this, at least in the Constitution of the United States of America, is the 1st, 4th, 5th, 9th, 10th, and 14th Amendments. There are more, but those are the main ones. There's also a lot of case law that protects our rights. The main one I'm going to quote is Hale versus Hinkle. No private citizen owes any duty or obligation to the state or to his neighbor to disclose his private business. We don't. We don't owe it to any any other person or to the state. And the last thing I'm going to touch on here is When we remember the hierarchy of law, we really start to understand what our rights are and where they come from. Very often we look at this false pyramid of this hierarchy where the president is at the top and then there's Congress and um, 
you know, the Supreme Court, and then there's the state governor, and et cetera, et cetera, down to your county, down to you. And I hate to break it to you guys, but it's 100% the opposite. And they're also missing a big component. They removed God from that hierarchy. It was a very intentional thing. Because when we remove God, when we remove religion, we don't have that religious authority anymore. And they don't want to recognize it. It's that whole separation of church and state thing. And they want to erase it. So let's get back to the real hierarchy. God creator created we the people. And we the people created our state governments to represent us, to act, to do certain specific things for us <clears throat> and nothing more. And then our state representatives created the U.S. government to do even more limited specific things for us. And all of the rights and powers are retained either by the state or we the people. But then after the government, the U.S. government, comes those three and four letter agencies. So you see those three and four letter agencies, the U.S. government, the state government, they all work for us. Because the created cannot govern the creator. But because we've not been taught that way, we've been taught to be slaves to the state. We've been taught to be subjects. The president is not a king. Was never designed to be a king. And yet that's how we treat it. We treat the presidential elections as the most important thing when it's really the least. All right. So what I want to do now is now I can't see your hands because this is a radio show. <laughs> this is not a Zoom and this is not an in-person, you know, meeting. But what I want to do is I want you to get a piece of paper. And if you're listening to the recording, you can definitely pause. But for the sake of time, I am going to just kind of read through my my workshop process. But anyways, I want you to kind of write down the list. First question is, do you own or want to own a business? Basically, are you doing anything that you're serving others, either through an activity or through a product? Second question, do you have school-age kids or grandkids or neighbors? Now, farther down on the sheet, I want you to join me with this exercise. The first thing I want you to do is three deep breaths. And I know this is a little woo-woo, but it's actually not. It's actually a really healthy practice. So your first breath, I want you to do a deep breath in, hold up for a second, and then as you breathe out and exhale, I want you to release any thoughts and worries that came before now. Anything that 
is in the past that you were focused on, want you to release it. On the second deep breath, I want you to hold it in for a second. And when you release it, I want you to release anything that's in the future, anything you're worried or stressed about. And then on the third deep breath, I want you to get centered on here and now and exhale into this present moment where we are right now. <coughs> now, I don't want you to close your eyes while you're doing these things with me, <laughs> especially if you're driving. If we were in person, I would do it just so that you can, you know, not get distracted by visuals. But the first main part of this practice is I want you to make a list of the things that you've overcome in your life. What have you experienced that you have gotten past? If you're still dealing with it, do not write that one down. And then you can focus on just one thing if you feel like it's it's kind of a defining thing for you. But I would encourage you to write at least three things that you have overcome in your life. And then on these next two, I want you to leave a little space because after this, I want you to go back and fill in a little bit. The next part is who you've become. I want you to look at who you were before, during, and now after those situations that you wrote down the first part about what you've overcome. And see what was different about the version of you from before the thing you overcame versus who you are now. And I don't want you to judge yourself or judge anything or have any opinions of it. Just write down your observations. Because right now we're not looking at right or wrong or good or bad. We're just looking at what is. And then the final part here is what have you learned? So by going through the thing that you overcame, what were things that you learned? What were tools that you used? What were resources that you collected that helped you? I want you to write down at least five things. <clears throat> a lot of people will end up having a huge page for this one. But I want you to write down at least five things. And I want you to put your pen down for a minute. And for two minutes, we're going to do a quick visualization. Normally, I would invite you to spend at least five minutes, even ten minutes on this, depending on time. But I want to spend two minutes. I want you to, if you're able to close your eyes, do so. If not, just, you know, tune out other distractions. I want you to imagine that you're waking up and it's the end of your life. You know it's your last day. And there's just, there's peace. It's not a stressful situation. Think about the life that you've lived thus far. Have you accomplished the things in your life that have brought you closer to fulfilling your purpose? Have you served the people that you're meant to serve? If you feel like the answer is no and that you have so much more to give or so many more people that you feel like you're meant to help, if you have no's right now, make note of that. 
especially if you feel like you don't necessarily know what it is you're supposed to be doing to help others. If you're feeling like that, I want you to explore looking back over your life and noting when you felt fulfilled. Who did you help that it made a really big difference? That you felt so much peace and joy for being able to serve or do to, to help someone else. And I want you to write that thing down. Or those things, if you remember multiple things that you did to help others. I want you to play with this exercise and revisit these questions. On the replay, you can always rewind. And we can always do a little bit deeper dive once I get the workshop up and running. But I want you to play around with this and look what you've written so far and look for any patterns. And then once you've really gotten to play with this, I would ask you, especially in the workshop, I'd ask you to try to condense what you learned from yourself in this exercise into one sentence. Like, what is your purpose? Who are you meant to help and how are you meant to help them is basically it. We want it to be generic and general enough that there's some um, wiggle room. We also want it to be direct enough that it's not like, I want to help all the people of the world. And, you know, I want world peace. You know, (laughs) it shouldn't be that generic and that broad. But it also does not have to be as specific as getting a certain product in every single house of the world either. Like that's super specific and it's really big, you know. As a reminder, mine is to help others discover and fulfill their God-given purpose. Now I want you to compare what you just explored with the business or the or the things that you're currently doing in your life or are working towards starting doing are these things in alignment with the purpose that you just discovered if yes that is your private membership association but more importantly that's your personal private ministry if you're fulfilling your god-given purpose by serving others that's ministry You have a ministry or you're starting a ministry. So let's protect it by living in faith in connection to your purpose. Let's stand up and protect and defend that purpose. Let's protect and defend your ability to serve others, to give to others. By not living in fear, but by living in faith. So I'm going to do my wrap up here quick because we've got, let's see, just a little bit of time left, about a minute and a half. Today we talked about Halloween and All Hallows Eve, what it really means in terms of Christianity and how hollow means To make or honor is holy. And how we can reclaim 
days back. We should not be living in fear of a day or, or of things. We talked about Martin Luther and what really started Reformation Day, which was his nailing on the church door his 95 theses. And the official, you can just do a web search for Martin Luther's nine, the 95 Theses. You can also do a search for, I'm going to pull up the official name of it. Hang on a second. We're scrolling. It's called Disputation on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences. There's literally 95 sentences. It's, it's a short essay. So you can read it for yourself and discover and explore what Martin Luther stood for here. And I would ex- I would ex- encourage you to explore what else he stood for. Join us next week on the Living with Freedom show at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific time. I'll be here next week with a whole new plethora of things to share. And I hope you guys have a beautiful day. It is snowing here in Wisconsin. (laughs) So we will talk to you guys soon. And because my audio is not working, I'm just going to end the call. And see you next time. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.